Hello, everyone, and welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today. Wherever you are right now listening, I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Just want to do another quick shout out to our fantastic sponsors, Arena Australia and Arena NZ. They are truly the best brands in the business, especially when it comes to race suits. Just look at the fastest breaststroker of all time, Mr. Adam Peaty. What does he wear? He races in Arena. They are just that good. So if you're looking for a new race suit right now, coming out of lockdown, going back into summer, check out their websites to find all the latest deals and specials. For now, though, it's on with the show. Save your mom. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one hundred in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Hoogen's hand. From the symmetry of all eyes is the great Madam Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavish in the white hats. Knott in the black hats. And Knott has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Knott in front. Knott in the hall. Knott goes in. Australia win. Joining me today on the show is one of our Olympic heroes from Tokyo. It started from night one of finals when she had us all screaming at our TVs and jumping around the lounge room. And we all know what she did to her coach and his reaction from that swim as well. She finishes her first Olympic Games with two gold, one silver and a bronze. It's my honour to welcome back to Off the Block Swimming Podcast, Olympic gold medalist, Ariane Titness. Arnie, how are you going? Hi, I'm good, thanks. So um, hate that intro, definitely. It wasn't a bad intro the last time I had you on, but it's definitely beefed up a bit. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like... The icing on the cake, I guess. I'd done everything except go to the Olympics and obviously come away Olympic champion. So it um, kind of feels like the set is complete, I guess. Oh, absolutely, mate. You must be just getting ready to get back out and see your family and, and celebrate with them because we all know, obviously, you're in isolation. We'll get to that now. You're in Darwin. Besides the horrendous Wi-Fi, which I won't go into because I think it's how are we in 2021 and we have Wi-Fi this slow? But anyway, don't get me started. I saw you yesterday, mate. You're on Instagram channeling your inner artist. What else have you been doing to keep yourself occupied? Yes, yeah, so I've been doing a bit of colouring in. Um, I know a lot of people have seen that I've been trying to knit. I mean, not very successfully. Um, every morning, like the group that's kind of in my area has been waking up and we've been doing like a bit of exercise together. Um bit of tanning in the sun we're very lucky with the weather up here it's very very warm too warm actually like if you're in the sun for too long um and that's pretty much it I mean doing the media rounds obviously which has been keeping me occupied um but then yeah just relaxing which has actually been nice for the first week but I'm definitely ready to get home now (laughs) yeah a hundred percent I don't blame you now you say you're attempting to knit what are you attempting to knit what are you putting together well I just wanted to be able to actually stitch some rows from the start. Like I have not planned, I have not like, I'm not knitting anything really. I'm just knitting. Mm. Um, and every single row I've done, I've managed to drop a stitch. So there's holes everywhere through it. Um, Dean seems to think that I'm going to be giving it to him, but I'm not sure he understands how bad it is. So, um, yeah, I'm just pretty much just knitting just to try and get a full complete row at the moment. 
Now, we all know the perfectionist you are in the water. Does it frustrate you that you're not perfect at knitting right now and that you have to build your way back up there as well? A little bit. But then as my mum said to me, she was like, look, you can't be good at everything. And she, and then um, she said, maybe just stick to swimming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but great it's, support, it's yeah, she has a point. She has a point. We can make your Olympic gold medalist. You can't be good at everything. Uh, has it sunk in for you yet? I mean, I just mentioned there you're Olympic gold medalist and, you know, we're, what are we now, eight, nine days out of Tokyo, but you've gone straight into there. You haven't been able to celebrate with your family as yet. You've been interview and interview and interview. Has it all sunk in yet or do you think it won't probably until you get home and get to enjoy it with your family and friends? Yeah, I mean, I think it's starting to, but I don't think it will until I do get home and get back into the community and kind of get like a, a sense of the impact that the Olympics and our performances had on the public. Um, it's hard when you're kind of stuck with the same people for two months. You don't really get a sense of, um, yeah, the achievement. So mm. I'm looking forward to getting out and seeing people's reactions and feeling kind of the support from the public a bit more. Um, you know, I felt it definitely through the media and um, social media, the support, but I think getting out into the community and actually being present will be, um, make me kind of realise what I did. Oh, absolutely. I was just honoured, mate, that you got back to me on Instagram because I know how uh, you would have been bombarded with messages and text messages and uh, DM. So uh, appreciate it. And, um, you know, well done to everyone for, for spreading the love. I know a lot of the Aussie team have been overwhelmed with, with uh, lovely messages. We'll get into your races in a second, mate, and I want to go through them and, and get your insights into it. But just give the listeners a bit of an insight into what it was like in Tokyo. Now, we know this is your first Games, but it's also a COVID time. So there's a lot of other, you know, weird stuff going on, like eating at a dining hall and feeling like you're in jail because you've got that perspex glass right in front of you. What was it like over there? Uh, it definitely wasn't um, a typical Olympics. I kind of growing up had the expectation of what an Olympics would be, but um, that definitely wasn't the case with COVID. Um, you know, there was a lot of protocols in place, hand sanitation, obviously the masks everywhere. I think I was wearing a mask for upwards of 10 or 12 hours a day, um, which definitely wasn't great for the skin. It got, you know, in the Tokyo heat, um, it was a bit sweaty under there. Um, but, yeah, it definitely was different. I feel like it would have been a bit more of a social games if COVID wasn't around. I felt like the swimmers kind of stuck to ourselves and it didn't really feel like I was at a multi-sport event because we didn't get the chance to go out and see other sports or that type of thing. Um, but, yeah, like I really enjoyed it still. I felt like it was more just another huge swim meet um, and I was just so in my zone that I think I was just completely focused on that. But aside from that, like I feel like with the circumstances, the Japanese people put on a absolutely wonderful games. I felt like everything was so well organised. Um, everything was in place for performance first and, um, yeah, I was really happy with the setup. Yeah, I have heard that from a lot of people that it was really well run and everything sort of flowed and, and went nicely. Who did you room with over there? So in my apartment, um, I had Kate Campbell, 
Thames and Cook and Kaylee McEwen. And we were really lucky that we got a bedroom each. And um, I had a balcony off my bedroom. And it was actually really good, like really, really spacious. Like usually typically at an Olympics, you'd expect a really tiny room and really crammed in. Um, but we had a lot of space. I mean, there was other rooms. I know there was one apartment with seven boys, which would have been very squishy. Um, <laughs> but we were very lucky to have um, the four of us just in the one apartment, which was nice. But I think we were all quite busy. We all had busy schedules. So I think that was why we were put together. Wow, bloody seven boys in one place. Squishy, smelly, noisy. That You guys lucked out to get a room on your own. Um, Talk to us about the pool itself, Arnie. What what was the pool like? Obviously, we saw on TV, but, you know, it's different being there. What was the atmosphere around it? You've been now in many different pools all around the world. How did this one uh, compare? Yeah, well, I remember walking out. Um, we did like a walk around in the pool the first day we got there and we walked out onto the pool deck at the, in the competition pool and I got goosebumps. It was um, definitely the biggest swimming stadium I've been into and it was just at that point seeing how big the stands were, it was uh, really upsetting knowing that they wouldn't be filled because mm. if they were, and I'm sure um, with Japanese people, you know, I think they really get around the swimming. I think it would have been an unbelievable atmosphere um but yeah the, the pool was amazing and then it was actually interesting though because um athletes and coach well, athletes that weren't swimming in a in like a final session would be able to go and sit in the stands to cheer and there was obviously staff and coaches watching as well so even though there wasn't like a public crowd you still kind of had like this mini little like cheer squad around the bottom tier of the pool and I feel like they really got around it and it kind of created like a bit of an atmosphere and it honestly felt like um, a meet back home, like a nationals type crowd. Um, I remember on like my last race, 800, um, which was towards the end of the program, most people were kind of finishing up their meet. And so the crowd, the crowd was getting bigger. And I remember when they blew the whistle for us to get up onto the block, um, we had to wait for like a minute because people kept cheering and there was horn (laughs) honking and they were really getting around it. So um, I think the athletes actually created like a, yeah, really good vibe. Yeah, it's a nice touch. And, yeah, I must agree with you, mate, to your point about um, the poor t- uh, um, Japanese swimmer, sorry, missing out on that home crowd of feel for, you know, someone like Ohashi who won the 200 and the 400 women's IEM and she's Olympic gold medalist and she, you know, she didn't get that home crowd reaction. Yeah, I think that would have been really disappointing. I remember watching that on TV and, um, you know, I think back to like Com Games on the Gold Coast and having that home crowd was really special and it's especially at Olympics having a home Olympics and not having um, a home crowd would have been, you know, really disappointing, but you know, she's still Olympic champion and um, she'll always remember that moment. Oh, absolutely. She did uh, Japan. Very, very proud. I think she was their first medalist for the game. So well done to her. Now, as you know, Matt, I've had you on before and there's a lot of other podcasts that go through sets and specifics and cycles and stuff like that. For me, I think a lot of people can get a lot more out of the the mental edge and what you guys go through mentally and your processes. Uh, you know, there's no doubt brilliant performances and we'll kick off now with, with the 400. Before I get to the race itself, this is where I want to go with this. What were the nerves like in marshalling coming out behind the blocks? Because I'll be honest, as a fan, this race has been the forefront of my mind for about two or three years. And that's me as a fan. This is the build-up, and such as the hysteria of obviously, you know, you touching and, and winning because it was such a, a build-up. What was it like for you though? You're in it, you're in the moment. This is this is your moment. 
did you manage to, to find a way to just sort of uh, keep it in check or did you allow yourself a little bit of freedom to get a bit excited about this moment that's been building for many years? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like I felt different than what I expected. I mean, I remember racing at trials and I was so nervous. I think Olympic trials is probably um, a very high-pressure high situation because it's obviously your one chance to make the team. So I was very, very nervous for that. And I was thinking like, wow, if I feel like this for trials, how am I going to feel at the Olympics? But um, in the lead-up between trials and the games, I had probably the best – few weeks of work that I'd had in my life. Like I'd done things in training that I didn't think that I'd be able to do. And I, my confidence just really grew. And when we arrived in the village and we got there, um, I thought that I'd be feeling like really excited and um, the nerves were starting to brew and that type of thing. But I was just like so calm and so chill. Like I actually cannot believe it. Like I knew that I had to conserve my energy because I had a, a big week ahead of me, but I was just not even thinking ahead. I was just taking every day by day and just really living in the moment and not worrying about my races coming up. And um, when I got to the day of the 400, I was still like really calm. And even in the final, it's definitely not the nervous I've ever felt. Like I just, I think the confidence that I had in myself really controlled my nerves. I mean, I like to feel nervous before I race. I know that it mean it means that the race is important and it kind of gives me that little bit of extra um, energy, I guess, but I felt like I had like the perfect amount of nerves. Like I never felt too nervous. I just felt really excited and confident going into the race. I think because I knew that the training I'd done, it really put me in good stead. I felt like if I did the swim that I thought I could do, I knew I could win. Um, but then after the 400, like that, the nerves built from then. Like I think um, after I had won, I felt like I probably had more pressure on my shoulders to do it again. Um, but, yeah, I was very, very surprised at how relaxed I was. And even during the race, like, I was just so composed. And I think that's probably the best place mentally I've ever felt at a meet. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you bring up that, um, you know, the, the other races and that building. We're going to get to it uh, in a little bit and, you know, you being able to compartmentalise things and, and <laughs> keep one eye on where you're going because, it must have been really hard, especially given the success after that 400, as I said. For all the younger listeners out there wanting to learn, what was that race plan like going in? What, what did you and Dean cook up? Is it something that had been in the books for two or three years and you already knew and you trained that way and you built and you built and you built it? And I guess it's good now we can discuss it because I have had you on last year and I wanted to ask these questions, but we had to be a bit uh, more tight-lipped so we can let the cat out of the bag a little bit more now. Yeah, I mean, um, when you tr when you aim for a time such as 355, 356, you have to start somewhere. So back in like 2017, um, 2018, when I was really trying to crack onto the scene and I was swimming around that four-minute mark, you have to plan for that 356 swim, I guess. So back then I was trying to go out at the speed that I have, like eventually wanted to go out in and my back end probably – um, I was missing the mark a bit because I was going out really hard, but that was just trying to get me used to um, going out at that speed. 
So I guess I started out doing that and um, really having no fear in the 400. And it's really a thing that you have to learn um, because a lot of people in especially eight lap race can be scared and worry about like conserving. So I think that's something that I really had to teach myself to do over a number of years. So once I nailed that part and I, as obviously as I got better, um, it was easier for me to go out at a 157 speed and a, a 400 it was about try, trying to nail that back end and um so in the lead up to the games um I really worked on like my last 100 especially um I knew that with Katie um it would probably come down to like maybe the last lap like I, I think I knew that it was going to be like a really close race and I knew that I had to be there on the last 50 like it I had to believe in myself that if we turned together, I would be able to win. And I honestly don't think that I believed I could do that until trials. I think with everything that happened earlier on in the year with my injury, I didn't think that um, if we turned together, I would be good enough to beat her. Um, But once I, you know, raced well at trials, it kind of gave me the confidence in my back end. Um, So then at the Olympics, um, I probably planned in my typical race plan to go out a bit harder, probably stay with her. But it's one thing to have a plan, but it's another thing you have to understand how and know how to like race with instinct. So um, for me, like if I'm at trials and I have the opportunity to go out there on my own, it's a perfect opportunity to put together a per- like a near perfect race and then go to my plan. But then it's a different thing when you're, racing someone you may have to tweak a few things so for me um when we dove in and I I was kind of gauging where she was at and she was obviously went for it I knew that she was going to have a good swim so I think I subconsciously was a little bit conservative on the first 200 and I knew that I had to have enough in my back end so I was kind of just like trying to stay there and not slip back too much And then I knew that on the second half of the race, like I really had to put my foot down and um, try and move at the right moments and that type of thing. And um, yeah, my last 100, I uh, just kind of went for it, but, but that's what I had trained for. And I never, ever thought like a few years ago that I'd be able to even split a 400. Like I never thought I could go 158, 158. Um, But I guess that's what you train for. So yeah, really it's about for me, like at, in that race, it was about having good, easy, early speed and then trying to really capitalize on my speed at the end. That is one of the best answers to a question I've ever had. Usually I throw out a question and you got the, the you know, the guests are always brilliant. I'm not bagging anyone else, but that was very detailed and, and you know, everything I was after, you just gave it to us all. So thank you very, very much. Now, mate, as far as dreams go, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you got to realize the greatest dream in Tokyo of all time at the finish of that 400. And I'll tell you why. Everyone dreams about making an Olympic final. Obviously, you did that. Tick. Everyone dreams about hopefully getting on the podium at Olympics. You did that. Tick. Double tick. You managed to make it a gold medal, which is brilliant. But at the same time, you beat arguably the greatest female swimmer of all time, which I'm going to say is a triple tick. What was that moment like for you when you touched the wall, you turned around, you saw your name in lights, number one on the board, all your dreams have come true. What was that moment like for you? Well, it sounds really strange, but um, I kind of like forgot that I was at the Olympics. Like 
it it just kind of felt like I'd won like another race. Like I even on the podium, I kind of felt like where am I? Like it was a very, very surreal moment. Like it's hard to comprehend when you're in that moment because like you have this plan that you set out to do for years and years and then for you to pull it off in like that instant, it's really hard to comprehend that you actually did it. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very surreal. Um, and for me, like I knew that, you know, obviously to win an Olympic gold medal is a tough gig, but I knew that I probably had one of the tougher challenges having to beat Katie, like, um, when you have to, to win a gold medal and have to beat like pretty much the goat, like is another challenge on itself. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just more relief more than anything that I'd actually achieved it because, um, it's like a really difficult situation to get your head around going into a race where you don't know, like, like who's going to win. Like if you really in that head to head battle, I guess it's kind of like that with Caleb and Kyle in the, in the hunter free, like it's very like 50, 50. So I think it was more um, relief more than anything that like I had actually done it. Well, as I said, mate, it was a phenomenal moment um, and very well deserved with all the effort that you and Dean had put in. One of your strengths I thought through the week, and we'll go back to what we were just talking about before, which I thought was your ability to, to compartmentalise really well, not get too far ahead of yourself, would have been very easy to do, as I said, after that 400. You mentioned before it probably wasn't as easy as it appeared from, from uh, over here on TV. You would have been buzzing after the 400, but as you said, the, you know, the pressure started mounting. Give us a little insight into you know, your week after the 400 mentally. Yeah, I mean, um, that's something I really tried to work on. I remember my first long course world championships 2017. Um, I was in the four by two relay and we were like really underdogs and we won a bronze medal. And I remember um, like I was a 16 year old girl. I was so excited to get on the podium and I was just so G'd up the next morning. I had the 800 heat and I completely bombed out because I'd wasted all my energy the night before. And I kind of really learned from that. Like watching the final of the 800 in the stands made me really angry. And I um, definitely like think back to that moment. I never want to experience that again. So in 2019 in Guangzhou, it was the same program and we obviously won gold and broke the world record. And I had the 800 the next morning and um I like learnt from the two years prior and like went out there and did like my best 800 heat swim ever. So that's something that I'd really thought about. Um, But after the 400, I knew that I did not want to ruin the rest of my week for getting too excited. I was like, well, I want to like contain it so that I can experience this again. Mm. Um, So I was just pretty much thinking the whole time that I had the 200 that that night. Like I really tried to enjoy it, but like not really. Like I, it was, it's really hard to do um, and it's something you have to work on. But then in the, when I was on the top of the podium in the 200, I didn't have any race that night. And I think like when you let your mind relax that tiny little bit, like just the slightest amount, um, emotions just come out. And even like when you let your mind relax that little bit, after the 200 final, when I went back to my room that afternoon, it's like my I'd been hit by a bus. Like I honestly just felt like absolute shit um, because it's like your mind relaxes and then your body just relaxes. So um, the biggest thing for me was towards the end of the week, having to really keep myself 
mentally on my toes for the 800 because after the week that I had, it's really tough to get up and do an 800 at the end mm. of your program. Like after the relay um, in the morning, I was back in my room for an hour and a half before I had to leave again for the 800 heat. So it was just having really good recovery strategies and just keeping your mind like really relaxed, like when it needs to be, but on when it needs to be. And um, I definitely noticed at the end of the meet when I finished my 800 final, I walked through the mix zone and out and I saw Dean, he was there waiting for me. And because I had finished, I literally relaxed and just like collapsed into his arms. And it was just like your whole body just knows that you're done and it just gives way. So it's just having to completely like, keep everything switched on and then as soon as you are done just kind of letting the floodgates open I guess well mate as I said I think you did a brilliant job of that and it is a very very tough thing to do at any level for all the listeners out there obviously age group level all that sort of stuff but you you managed to do it at the most elite level at the biggest show of all Uh, so congratulations on that and you mentioned the 200 there and I want to get to it now and although it was built up as Titmus versus Ledecky round two um, you know, we, we knew that there was some phenomenal sprinters in that race as well with Siobhan Jorge, Penny Alexiak, Matty Wilson was in there as well. Let's not forget um, Pellegrini was in the, in the final as well. So we knew the pace was going to be on. How did you go about this race differently? And were you more or less comfortable with this race than the 400? Because obviously, you know, the sprinters are out there now. This isn't just, you know, you're being tough and charging past people. This is, you've got to know you've got that speed there as well. Yeah, I think coming into this race, um, the 400 was probably the most anticipated, but I think the 200, I probably had the most pressure on. I felt like it was my race to lose, especially after the 200 at trials. Um, No one had been like 153 in a a few years. And um, yeah, I definitely felt like it was mine to lose. And it was, I was coming into a completely different field. Like you said, I feel like the 200 is incredibly deep. Like there was a lot of girls in that race that could have won the race. Like, um, you know, you never count out Pellegrini. Um, obviously, like Siobhan was there. Like she went 153. Um, you can never she was count on out, fire. You can never count out Katie as well. So, like, I knew that I it would not go all my way easily and, um, after seeing like Siobhan's semifinal, I knew that she would be very, very fast with the first 100. And you don't know, like if someone's got this secret back end up their sleeves. So um, when I was behind at the 100, I was quite nervous. Um, and I've got to say, like my my last 50 did not feel as good as like the 400. Like I tried to really like click into everything that I had. And obviously it was enough, but it really, it was really, really hurt. Um not like the, the 400, I felt like I could just, I just had jets out of the back of me. Like I just really was just steaming home. Whereas like I feel in the last 10 meters of the 200, my legs started to go. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just, I guess I just had to work on my strengths the best I can. And I didn't actually realize how far I was behind until I watched the race back. And I was like, no wonder, um, like I was giving my family like a heart attack. <laughs> my, my, my best friend sent me a text saying like, well done, but I'm really not a fan of your race plan. Like it induces <laughs> like a stroke. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a whole different thing going up against sprinters. I mean, Siobhan has had incredible speed. Like, I mean, she got silver in the 100 as well. So um, it's a very different ball game for me. But, yeah, same thing, just trying to really work on my back end. 
mate, not just you, all the bloody Australian swimmers that medaled, you know, you look at uh, Kaylee's medals coming from through from behind. You look at Zach, spoke to yep. Zach the other day. I was like hiding behind my lounge watching his end of the race, <laughs> left it to the last 10 metres. So absolutely, you guys gave us uh, some big anxiety problems, but it's okay. We're, we're all good now. We're working through it. Um, now, I don't get too technical, as I said, on this podcast, but I because I do know a lot of parents and non-swimming people listen to it. But, and I don't want to put people to sleep talking about it, um, you know, as I said, sets and paces and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I am in awe of what swimmers like yourself and someone like Ian Thor back in the day are able to do in terms of going from eight down to two. So essentially for everyone listening, racing two completely different types of athletes, racing sprinters, racing distance swimmers, and still for you coming in the, you know, the top one or two in every event. Uh, it's an incredible feat for, you know, for someone watching. What does training look like through the week for you to be able to balance that? Um, you don't have to go too in-depth, but just give us a, a broad view, I guess, with, you know, balancing aerobic training, anaerobic training, yeah. some speed work. Um, and what set specifically gives you a lot of confidence to know you're ready to rumble in any race? Well, I think the key for being able to have that range is um, – especially for the 800, keeping my aerobic base up. And even if I was to do like a more of a speedy set to get some 200 work in, I would still like the others might just stop at the end of the session, but I'd probably get an extra couple of Ks in just to keep my aerobic system going. So I guess that's how I kind of, um, you know, balance it all out. I mean, my work is probably targeted more towards the 400 and then, um, because of that base, I guess I can go up to the 800 and I did enough um, long Ks when I was younger to kind of have that base for my 800. Um, and then I do a lot of like aerobic stuff for my 800 early on in the season. And then as like the season goes on, that's when you kind of trickle into a bit of 200 work and I go in with the, with the 100 and the 200 guys for maybe one set a week um to get my speed up but I feel like the 400 work as well kind of goes bodes well for 200 because um you know it gives me that that back end essentially but it's also really important that I yeah do have the speed for that race um so I balance it as we balance it as best as I can I mean I definitely couldn't go up to the 15 like I just don't even know how Katie did that I mean I was exhausted and then she did an extra 3k of racing so I think the range is too big. I mean, um, for me, if I wanted to like have a great 200, I don't think I could if I had to train for the 15 because it's just extra s slower swimming that mm. would just not counteract well. So I don't think I could go beyond the 800. Um, and then for me, the thing that gives me confidence going into racing is it's not like so much a certain set, but it's just like consistency in training and consistently being able to hit my times. Like I remember in the lead up to, um, to Olympics through like Cairns in that three or four weeks, I would say there was probably one session or one part of a session, um, like a main set that I was not happy with. And the rest of it, I was just like, my whole life at the time was just like completely for like performing at those four main sessions a week. And um, I was just like very, very consistent and able to hit times that I hadn't before in certain sessions. And I think that just gave me um, the confidence. Yeah. Nice. Hey, what a race we saw in the women's four by 200 meter freestyle relay. 
with all three medal winners in China, USA, and you guys yourselves, Australia, going under the world record. I know may not have been the result you guys were after in the end, but how proud were you of, you know, your teammates, Emma McKeon, Maddie Wilson, Leah Neal, and how proud are you in general of women's swimming just pushing those limits? Because as I said, like, this isn't just one world record. Three teams broke the world record. That's phenomenal swimming from, you know, from all the women involved. Yeah, unbelievable. Like, who would have thought that everyone on the podium after that race had broken the world record? Like, and we obviously were going in favourites and we had did have high expectations in the uh, amongst the team that we could win the gold medal and that's obviously what we wanted. But we couldn't do anything else on the day. Like, you know, we still broke the Australian record and Commonwealth record and did the best that we could. I mean, personally for me, like, I wanted to do more for the team. Um, I didn't have the split that I wanted, but like you can only do the best that you can on the day. And like Emma and I both had massive programs and um, obviously Willa and Leah had a bit of pressure on them coming into the race to try and lift for the team as well. So, I mean, we can't be disappointed. Like we still, we won a bronze medal at the Olympic games and um, most a lot of people dream of that and so um, and also another thing is like you can't control what anyone else does like who knows that those two are like the US and the Chinese mm. are going to come out and all swim out of their skin like you just don't know that that's going to happen so um, I was still very proud to stand on the podium with the girls and I know that it was Maddie's first time on an Olympic podium and that was really special to share that with her and um, that medal is still um, as special to me as the two golds because I felt like the effort that we did um, was still like the the best that we could like we just can't control what, what happens on the day um, and yeah the, yeah underworld record for 12 girls on the podium is just um, yeah really really quick swimming. Yeah, absolutely. And for, yeah, for anyone who was watching that, who looked at it and thought, oh, I thought they were going to win gold. As I said, take a look at what it took to win first, second. Uh, it was world records. You all went under world records. So as you said, you can't control what others do. And the Chinese girls absolutely swam out of their skin. Um, now, we can't have this chat without discussing your coach, a mentor, Dean Boxel, who went viral during the Olympics, which I won't go into because I think it's been covered more than enough on every other show, including my own. But I do want to ask, uh, you know, how important is that partnership to your success? And, you know, in Tokyo, I know how passionate he is about his athletes uh, and it's inspiring to me as a coach, um, you know, with my own athletes watching, you know, how he works. Talk to us about that swimmer coach dynamic. Why do you think it works so well? And I obviously know it's not because you both listen to Tool. So, <laughs> Well, I think firstly it's probably the most vital key to being able to swim well is having a good relationship with the coach. I think that um, I wasn't just swimming for myself. I was obviously swimming for the country and my family, but I was more than anything swimming for Dean because I completely have trust in the program that he provides me. And then it's the same with him. He trusts that I will execute it to the best of my ability. And I think that's the most important thing having trust between coach and athlete and really understanding what each other need out of each other like I know that I need to be pushed like really hard like in season um if some people saw how I get pushed <laughs> they would like be scared to, <laughs> to train so I know that I need that it doesn't work for everyone but he knows that I need that and then so I think that's important that you both 
understand um, what each other need. But I think more than anything, um, I'm just really grateful that aside from him being my swimming coach, I feel like we have a good relationship in terms of just being like great mates. Like we can talk about a lot of other things other than swimming. We have good banter. Um, we joke around. Um, he's definitely like a, 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 a really strong male figure in my life. And um, I think that's the most important thing, just really getting along with the, with your coach as well. I think um, – Definitely, that's a massive key to why I so well because of my relationship with him. Yeah, hundred percent. As I said, from a spectator looking in, uh, it, it was brilliant. And as a coach, you know, watching him and his passion was inspiring to me. Do you have any tool on your playlist yet? Have, has he got you into it? <laughs> no way. I mean, <laughs> when he first started playing tool, I didn't mind it, but then he's just played it so much that I'm just so over it. Like. It's just like too much. Like we're talking like every time we do bike after our swim, he'll just play Numa, which is one of their songs, and another one every time. There's the two songs for the whole half an hour, <laughs> every single bike session. Like surely like he's over it. Um, when it comes on, I'm just like, oh, no. But, um, I mean, it, it kind of just shows his type of personality. He just gets obsessive about something, and he was just obsessive about winning. So I guess that's why he's a good coach. Yeah, it definitely shows a bit about his personality. What about you? Did you listen to any music before your races over there? We know famously you've mentioned before uh, you've got a bit of mum's playlist on, on your sort of stuff, which she didn't even know about herself. She didn't realise you listened to her songs. Did you listen to anything? Yeah, so every time I race, I listen to mum's playlist, which is just like a bunch of everything. It's pretty bipolar. Like I could go from... Um, ACDC to like Celine Dion to anything um but yeah I pretty much listen to like ACDC Guns N' Roses um Bon Jovi that type of thing I never listen to it like in everyday life but for some reason when I I race it just really gets me in the mood and it's also nice because it kind of reminds me of my mom and that, that she's there with me um so I listen to that pretty much from when I'm on the bus to the pool all the way to when I get into warm-up and I just block everything out now, mate, I want to finish with a bit of fun. Now, obviously, I didn't get a lot of time to ask fans to send in questions because I wanted to do a fans' questions. So what I thought we'd do is one something I did with Zach the other day, which is Google questions. Now, these are things that the world is Googling about you as we speak, weirdos. So we're, we're going to get you to answer the questions that people are asking on Google. Are you ready to go? Yeah. All right. The first one is, perverts, is Ariane Tipner single? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not. I do have a partner, but I, I try to keep it quite private, but, um, now people know out there that no, I'm not single. That was, do you know what? I'm not going to lie. Actually, as cause I was trying to, you know, do different ones. Is Ariane this? What is that came up a lot. So, you know, there you go. They're getting a lot of attention. Ooh, I, out can, there. I can understand. Like when you get like obsessed with like, a, a, I guess a celebrity that you love, you want to know the ins and outs of their life. Mm. Yeah, and I it. understand that with a few of my <laughs> obsessions, but I can see why now they want to keep something private. Yeah, 100%. The next one is, is Ariane Titmus Greek? No, I have no Greek heritage. <laughs> Don't know where that <laughs> one came from. Does Ariane Titmus have siblings? Yes, I do. I have a younger sister, uh, Mia, and she's 18 and she's um, studying to be a nurse. 
Oh, very good, especially uh, this day and age. Very, very important. Yeah. Cheer, um, cheers to the all the nurses out there and frontline workers. Next one is, uh, does Ariane Titmus work? How dare they even ask this? What, like, well, like what you're doing isn't actually work. <laughs> yeah, well, I would say that being an athlete is my job, I guess, but this is something that I'm not very proud of. I've never actually had like a, a proper real-life job in my life. I mean, my excuse is that I made my first Australian junior team when I was 14 and then I made my first senior team when I was 16. So I never had the opportunity to work. But, yeah, I've never had, a, I guess, like a, a Boost Juice or a Macca's job. I've never had a real job. <laughs> Any aspirations in the future, mate? Obviously, you know, don't want to get too far ahead of yourself and we've got, you know, many years of swimming still to go, but... Is there something that's caught your eye in terms of after swimming that you, you might want to venture into? Uh, well, I am studying sports science. I haven't been studying for two years, though. I've deferred and I plan to go back after um, after the Olympics. So I'll go back next year. So I'm still deciding whether I'll continue studying that course. Like I was actually having this discussion with Zach yesterday about like how I don't really know what I want to do after swimming. Um but I guess my platform now has like given me the opportunity to really think about like what I want to do and how I want to use my name, I guess. Um, but I do love how the body works. And I think that that's why I'm obsessed with like being an athlete and how I can push my body to the limits and that type of thing. But um, I'm still deciding. I've got a lot of time yet. I plan on swimming for a, a few more years. So um, I'm in no rush to figure that out. Oh, absolutely. Many, many more years to go, mate. Don't worry about that. Uh, and especially with sports science, mate, with all the connections you'd have with uh, Swimming Queensland, all that sort of stuff, surely somebody can flick you a few sheets and things like that. I'm <laughs> sure we can make that happen. The next one is, is Ariane Titmus related to Ted Titmus? So this is a famous English cricketer, apparently. No, I don't think we have any relation. I don't think. Not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one is, is Ariane Titmus' dad a commentator? Where, who wrote that? So my dad actually is a journalist. He works for Channel 7. Okay. Um, he works in the newsroom in Brisbane as a, yeah, a, a journalist. Um, so I think that's why if people have seen him on the news. He's very comfortable. I mean, yeah, talking about me, he's very comfortable in front of the camera. It's, yeah. he's, been, he's been his job for 40 years. So um, I guess that's why that one's in there. Oh, very nice. He, I just thought they were getting you confused with Jess Fox because we know uh, when she won gold, her dad was commentating in Tokyo. So that was that was another great moment. But, yeah, there you go for all the listeners, something you didn't know. Now, this last one's from me. Uh, do you have any of the brilliant um, appliances that you get to play with in the Harvey Norman ad in your home? Yeah, well, the ad that's on TV is my home. So um, all the appliances wow. you see in the tv ads are my appliances um so i'm pretty decked out i'm very lucky like i love to cook so i feel like i can pretty much cook anything i want and i can experiment um the pressure cooker is my my best friend i love doing some you know lamb um lamb shanks or some beef cheeks in there and it, in a slow cooker it would take like eight <laughs> hours but pressure cook up 45 minutes and we're on there you go i just i want that fridge that's that's what I'm yeah. that's what I'm about. I want that fridge. You just press the button, and then you can see into the fridge. And very very cool. Yeah, I'm very very jealous, mate. Now I think we'll wrap it up there, uh, mate. Before I say goodbye, I just wanted to say a genuine 
Thank you from me, all the listeners on Off The Blocks in Australia. I'll, go, I'll put it out there, everyone's saying this, so we'll go Australia as well. What you and the entire swimming team of Australia did in Tokyo, it mate, is nothing short of incredible, uh, inspirational. I think, you know, we'll be seeing the results of your achievements for at least the next decade leading up to Brisbane 2032. You're absolute stars in my eyes. You did us all proud. You should be very, very proud of yourself and what you guys accomplished. I mean, we, you know, I was lucky enough to be a teenager for the 2000 Sydney Games uh, and, and what, you know, those guys did and inspired, you know, the next generation. And I think what you guys did in Tokyo is very, very similar. So should be very proud of yourselves. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks, everyone, for all the support. We definitely um, couldn't have done it without you guys, especially in the tough times that's going on at the moment. Um, yeah, it's really, really nice to see. Oh, mate, that's why I'm just here to help. That's why I wanted to talk to you today. We're not really doing a podcast. I just knew you were sitting around not doing much, so you might have wanted to have a chat. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, hey, just, anyway, I can help. Uh, until next time, mate, and we will definitely have a chat again. I know that. Thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Have you heard of Swim Better HQ? They are a fantastic swimming company bringing Olympic athletes together with our young junior Olympic hopefuls of the future. Whether it's swim clinics with Olympian Taylor McEwen or Zoom dryland sessions with Aussie superstar Shana Jack, Swim Better HQ are making sure our young aspiring athletes are getting the opportunity to learn from and speak with Australia's best swimmers. Head over to www.swimbetterhq.com right now to see their new amazing initiative, giving you, the fans, an opportunity to speak with Olympic gold medalist Meg Harris via Zoom. How good is that? So what are you waiting for? Head over to swimbetterhq.com right now. Sign up for a chat with one of our Olympic heroes. I just want to be with you.